Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. So how are you, buddy? It's good to see you. Hey, Matt. Uh, everything's well. Things are heating up here uh, weather-wise, which is kind of fun. We start thinking about, uh, you know, different watches to wear in summertime, different drinks to pour. Uh, and uh, it feels like things are opening up a little bit around here. So things are things are going well. It's a Friday. We're recording on a Friday, and, and this has become our, our go-to time to spend together. So I love it. Yeah, totally. You speak of the weather, too. The, the difference in temperature... For the last two days versus the two days prior is so significant. I I was wearing a favorite watch on one of those, you know, the uh, the Hodinkee Boonstrap. I really like that. But now that it's it's warmed up, I was like, no, I can't do that today. It's just going to be like swamp wrist. One thing I appreciate is that I feel like spring for most people, no matter where you're listening to this, you get those temperature swings, which are kind of crazy. It'll be you know, a 20 degree swing over less than a week. And so we can share that with everybody because I feel like a lot of times we're checking in on our weather here in Southern California and it's maybe not indicative of everybody else. (laughs) So we can share this, I think, with everybody. Yeah, totally. Especially now that we are, I think, dialed in to have episodes released in a more timely manner and a little bit closer to the date of recording. So for the listener, and I told myself I wouldn't say for the listener too often anymore. But (laughs) But you said it, 25 seconds, a minute and a half in. I just did it, but right, um, yeah. The bottom line is the first several episodes were recorded anywhere from maybe two weeks in advance to to the drop up to you know in at least one case like six six or eight weeks. So you know we can finally actually start talking about current watch stuff. That also helps uh, everybody understand sort of the uh, the way we had to go about building this out, right? I mean, of course, you know, we're trying to learn from folks who have been doing this for a while. And you, you understand that you have to have a few in the can. You can't just, you know, record one episode, send it out. You, you want people to be able to, to kind of see what the flow is. So it's a it's been the learning process for us, too, um, to be able to figure out, you know, and get into the flow and the routine. Yeah, totally. So what else is new in your in your life? You know, I, I, I don't you commented on it right before we got on air, but um I've got this uh, kind of beard situation going on now. I don't quite know where I'm going with it. It's it's had many iterations over the last year while we've been in this work from home situation. Uh, I've had it really big and bushy. I've had, you know, uh, I shaved it all the way down around Halloween when we did a Halloween costume for Gomez Adams and Adams family. And right now I don't know what I'm doing with it. I might take it into a mustache again. I've I've done that before, uh, a nice handlebar, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. Well, dude, looking at it from my point of view through the webcam here, that beard is its own reason for being. I don't think it needs any further justification. It's just pretty glorious. I think you should you should leave it. I I kind of started doing the COVID beard probably the better part of a year ago, and I shaved most of it off, but I left the Van Dyke, and that's sort of become the, the symbol of my alter ego. 
<laughs> I thought about that, and I also thought about the uh, the avatars that our friends at Out of Time made for us, and it's based off of the conversation I, you know, that mine is based off the conversation I had with them, you know, back a while ago, and I had a pretty heavy beard at that point too, and then at some point I shaved it down, so I think I'm returning back to my avatar. So maybe we're sort of in lockstep on this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it looks good. We try our best. Yeah, totally. So how about a port check? I need to know what's in your glass today. Oh man, this is uh, at the risk of sounding kind of pedestrian and and redundant. This is I've got another good German beer. This is actually the uh, the Hofbrau München Hefeweizen. Just a good beer for a hot day, and another one of those beers that brings back memories. Drinking in this place with my dad on my first trip to Germany, um, many many years ago. A lot of fun, and it's yeah, it's it's kind of a middle of the road quality wise, but it's. Uh, it's fun to get it when I can. Well, you might call it redundant and I call it more on brand. So I think you could go either way. Uh, it's, it's one that I think I almost look forward to seeing what German beers you have on hand. <laughs> I'll take it. How about you? What have you got? So I got a new bottle a little while ago and I haven't said much about it, even though other people have been talking about it. And um, it's really, really quite nice. Um, it's called Artanome Selection. 1123 and Artanome is this brand uh, that exists and it kind of r- roughly translates to the art of the gnome. We've talked about gnomes on here in terms of tequila production and it's yep. a four, four digit number that helps you understand where you're, what you're drinking, where, where the bottle you're drinking um, was made. And so it helps you trace back, you know, to where it came from, it might help you discover other brands that are also made at that particular gnome. And so this one is uh, from uh, Gnome one one two three eleven twenty three, and uh, they're very well known for uh, for making a few brands, but in particular, their their own brand is Cascoine, and so it's a family owned uh, uh, operation. Make a really fantastic product, and and they did one for this label, and it's pretty unique. It is um, it's overproof for tequila, so it's you know forty three percent eighty six proof. And it was rested for between 21 and 28 days in X sherry casks that were used to rest mezcal, uh, mezcal reposado. And so it's an interesting approach, but because it's below a certain threshold, they're still calling it a Blanco, even though it was rested. And uh, But to be honest with you, the flavor profile, the color, uh, the flavors that I'm getting from it are very re- reminiscent of a reposado. It's super tasty, and I can't wait to share it with you. Yeah, I'd like to give that a try. I'm just expanding my palate for for tequila and mezcal. I have a question for you, and I I didn't let you know in advance I'd be asking this, so my apologies. But do you know much about the life cycle of the plant, the agave? So, I mean, in the wine world, you know, almost everything is coming from the fruit is coming from known vineyards. You know, where there's a great deal is known about the even down to the lot number in terms of you know the terroir and what you can expect as a producer and a consumer of these wines. And I just wonder, is it the same for agave? Because I thought that I had this impression that, you know, the folks who are are making this stuff have to kind of go out and forage for it, or do they actually cultivate it? Great question. It depends on who you're talking about. I would say for the, the great majority of tequila production is is cultivated agave. And so they've been tending to these plants for a number of years uh, the general rule of thumb was always sort of like six to eight, six to nine years uh, for uh, 
uh, agave azul, you know, blue Weber, which is what's used for tequila to come to maturity to where they went harvest it and, and use the pinas like you're describing to, to then get the, uh, uh, the juice going. Um, they've gotten much better. It's because it's actually a little bit of a, of a concern. There's a monoculture associated now with, with the, with the blue Weber agave. And so, uh, the maturation cycle has been reduced, but they've also gotten very good at cultivating it, but it's, uh, the maturation, uh, time has been reduced. Um, now when you talk about mezcal, uh, there's a mixture of cultivated, uh, agave of course, but then there's also wild agave that you described where they're going out and foraging or just kind of taking from the land what's available at that particular time. And that there's, they call it wild agave or wild varietals. There's also a, a term in Spanish called silvestre. And it helps you understand that maybe the bottle you're drinking if it has Silvestre agave was was wild. It was not cultivated. And um, you know, I think the I think the tequileros and the mezcaleros, they do a pretty excellent job of understanding their fields um and kind of keeping internal records, but I don't know that it would be uh traceable to the uh effect that you're describing in the wine community. Um and then the last part is just since there's such a long lifespan waiting for these plants to mature rather than an annual harvest, um, you don't really have anybody say this was a bad year uh, for a particular agave because, you know, you're you're taking that plant 5, 7, 10, 12, 15 years uh, uh, in the soil. And so I guess all that to say, um, it's just a different, a little bit of a different bag, but a very similar approach. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Any individual vintage is going to be a reflection of that year. So like, you know, existing terroir, which is kind of a, a known quantity, more or less, um, combined with, you know, the specific kind of unique weather weather conditions of that vintage. And so that That's is a interesting. Great point. Yeah. yeah. And I think when we really get a chance to to really dive deep on wine, I'm looking forward to learning even more from you on that. And And a bottle of tequila is going to be reflective of a much longer lifespan than than a particular year. Um, and so it's just a, a little bit of a, a comp, a compare and contrast on those two spirits, but which makes them, I think that much more fun to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll definitely have to dive deeper as time goes by. Anyway, this is a, this is ostensibly a watch podcast. So I'm going to ask you, what are you wearing today? I have back on my wrist, uh, Omega Seamaster Cosmic 2000 circa 72, 73, Service by our good friend, or I should say, uh, the service coordinated by our great friend Chase at Horology Four One One. So it has the Horology Four One One guarantee, CW uh, Twenty One uh, watchmaker service, running beautifully. And uh, some of our friends will be glad to know that I've I've gotten it back and, and it's in great order. And I have it right now. So it came back, and I wanted to switch it up a little bit too. I told Chase, you know, maybe let's put something else on on the cosmic and give it not only just new life coming back onto the wrist, but something I hadn't uh, a combo I hadn't before. And so I have it on a, a Hovig Supply House here in downtown LA suede, um, like a light gray suede. Um, beautiful strap, super quality, unbelievable value. I think. Um, for Hold what that up Natalie to the camera. Those. You know, there's, okay. uh, there's the, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a, it's an off white. I don't want to, I hesitate to call champagne, maybe like, yeah, like an eggshell dial and, uh, the markers, these big brick markers on this dial, which are incredible. They've got the, you know, they're stainless. Um, I don't know, just the, the light dial with the hour markers and then the gray suede, uh, everything's just working here. 
Okay, so you're probably not going to be surprised to hear this, but I have that exact same strap for- <laughs> This is the second my, time now that we've for my been able to Seiko. share that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't wear that as much, but that was why I bought it because of that sort of that light light uh, tone of the dial kind of metallic influence. That's right, because that you're getting, you're getting yeah, when the, on that dial color, you know, changing in the light, but that's a perfect, that, oh, that's a great combo now that I'm thinking. I don't think I've seen you with it. I don't think I've seen that combo with you though. I don't, yeah, I've, I put it on. And then when I went back to the, the strap that it's on right now, which is that kind of that real supple leather strap from Micah at Vintager Straps, that's the one that it's lived on more, but it's a, it's a cool thing. Yeah. So I've seen that's it. kind I've of seen funny. It. I've seen it mo- most of the time on that Vintager strap and I've seen it just recently on the bracelet, which was a nice change of pace. Um, to see that on there. But um, this is now the second time we've recorded where we had the same strap, uh, which is not surprising, uh, means you have good taste. It means we have a great source. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, cool. What's on your wrist? Oh, today is, uh, this is probably, uh, I don't know, this might be my favorite watch. Um, and, and maybe with good reason. This I've got the Blanc Pond 50 Fathoms Bathyscaphe today. So this is on the um, the OEM green. It's like an olive green uh, sailcloth, rubberized sailcloth strap. I love this watch because it's it's a pretty nice watch, and you know it's it's a fun watch. But it's one of these things that sort of disappears on wrist. It just doesn't look like anything that like the average person who is not into watches is going to recognize. So you can just go out and about and you know do your thing, and it doesn't have that. I hate to say baggage, but it doesn't have the baggage of the Cyclops and the the Oyster bracelet. Talk about another dial that really moves in the sun in the sunlight too, in the light. That one is one that just continues to change shades, no matter you know, depending on where you are, and uh, it's just a ton of fun to watch, you know, and play with in the light. But like you said, it sort of disappears on the wrist in some ways, but it's got a ton of presence. And if um, you know, if you know what you're looking for, the minute you know you see that on on Matt's wrist, you're you're kind of excited to get your hands on it yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have to do a watch swap debrief with this one, um, and maybe we'll swap out what I'm wearing and what you're wearing. But you're absolutely right with the dial, because just depending on when you look at it, it's kind of like a, a dark gray, or maybe black, or maybe a brownish bronze, just de- depending on the light. Yeah. And I love that strap too. I think it's a, it's a really great OEM strap. It's one that you probably could live with. You know, you don't have to change that out at all. In fact, it's, you know, partly a selling point, I think. And it's a, it's a little bit techie, you know, in some ways, but it's still refined. It's not, you know, super utilitarian. It's just a great piece. It's an amazing combo. I mean, that, that package, you know, the whole package is really nice. I'm glad you're still enjoying that thing, you know, after a little while now that having it in the collection. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the the deal with this, the backstory was, you know, I had moved out a significantly important watch to me in my collection with sort of the promise to myself that uh, as soon as I was able to, I'd recover it. And in the space of about a year, you know, the price on that watch, and this was a GMT2C, yeah, the 116710 basically doubled. So I just, I couldn't make myself do it and I just went a different direction and I'm glad I did. This is the watch that the Submariner wishes it was. <laughs> I don't know. Which is a pretty, My, which is a pretty good segue into maybe what our, we, we, our main content, you know, the, 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 the main entree is today. Yeah. Well, I mean, now that we're in, hopefully we've got everything dialed in where, you know, we're going to be dropping episodes more regularly. Um, as we said before, we can talk about stuff that's more in the news and what's in the news right now. Well, there's a few things, but, um, a 
a big drop from Seiko in the past uh, several days that's been highlighted in a number of outlets. And that's this new line, the SRPG. So this is going to be something like, I don't know, I've, I've heard reference to different nicknames. I hesitate to use it yet because I don't know how official they are, but they basically look like a land nav version of the Seiko Turtle. So these are the the turtle is the SRP line. I have an SRP seven seven five. It's the the gold gilt dial black one, and this looks like it's going to be kind of a a riff on that. There's an SRPG thirteen, SRPG fifteen, a seventeen, and an eighteen, and it's basically just differs by colorway. My favorite Seiko uh, nomenclature. Yeah, that's they don't make it easy, do they? No, they don't. Yeah, but people who know know, and so it's okay. It's not a big deal. Well, yeah, certain things. Again, the turtle, the Willard, um, you know, the Marine Master. They they'll catch a nickname, and then everybody kind of knows. But until that comes, um, you know, that's it's sort of tough. And yeah, exactly. It's a, a nomenclature soup sandwich. That's my expression for it. I knew you were but, going soup sandwich. I knew that's what we were serving up today. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That's my style. So the bottom line is, I, I wanted to kind of talk about this for a second. Cause I know I'm, I'm much more of like the dive watch guy and in particular the Seiko guy. I mean, I think among our group of friends, I probably have the widest range of Seikos going literally from like the sub hundred dollar, you know, Amazon special, like the SR, what is it? I'm sorry. The uh, SNZ, SNKs, those kind of things, the little ones up into, you know, uh, SKX, which is, you know, for a lot of people was the, the entry level dive watch that got them into this hobby. Then the follow on to that, the SRP, the turtle into SPBs and Willards and all that stuff. And then finally SLAs zero to one. I have one of those and into Grand Seiko. So I, I'd like to feel like I've kind of stopped at every, every step on the Rolex or the Rolex, sorry, the, um, the Seiko bus line. And I, you know, this one I think is going to be an important offering for them, but I have thoughts. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, you do have, I think, by far the greatest, I think, uh, uh, kind of propensity and uh, collection probably, you know, of, of our our circle on the Seiko side. And I usually look to you, actually, and, and when I get, you know, when I'm looking for sort of an opinion or if I want to kind of bounce ideas off you or see what you think about something. So with that said, let's launch into this. I want to know what you think of these new um, prospects and and see where you think they might fit into the Seiko world, where you think they might fit into kind of the watch community uh, writ large. Well, we'll, let, we'll kind of circle back to that question for a second, just in terms of where they fit, because ultimately that's really a spoiler alert. That's my question too. Even after having kind of, you know, looked at all of these things, I'm like, what is the, what did these do that the turtle doesn't do? I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss. So ultimately, again, there's uh, four different references that are out. And again, it's the colorway that differentiates. So there's, you know, a black with gilt. There is a like a blue one. There's a greenish one, kind of capitalizing on the the green hotness right now. And then there's another that's a bit of a standout, where it's a steel watch, but it's a gold tone metal case with like a you know brown kind of dial and you know that that the interface basically on the watch is sort of a, a brownish bronze color. I'll have to see it live to to get a sense of what it really is. But 
they're similar to the turtles in some ways. I mean, the pricing is ballpark. It, it they're referenced as being in the fi- high five hundred dollar euro mark. So you figure that's going to be, you know, here somewhere between six and seven hundred US. Um, street price is possibly, probably going to be significantly lower, just depending on where you go and and time and popularity and all that stuff. But what's different compared to the turtle? There's a compass bezel, so kind of that land nav ish kind of a feature. I don't know yet if this is going to be a, a unidirectional or bidirectional bezel. Usually, compass bezels are bidirectional, so we'll have to see how that goes. Still retains 200 meter water resistance, which is good. So it's you know it's going to be a good everyday watch for somebody that just wants something that maybe isn't like overtly you know butch diver. Although this is still kind of butch diver, but. Uh, it also has kind of a sapphire upgrade from Hardlex, which is nice. The thing for me that I think is going to be maybe the most polarizing feature on this watch is the handset. So they've kind of gone back to that that straight sword minute hand and then the the arrowhead, stylized arrowhead hour hand. And my impression was that that was not particularly popular. They had that a similar handset on a number of the Tuna watches over the past few years. And they had a similar handset on some of these, um, like the the post-62 Moss reissue, kind of the also-ran watches that were a little bigger than the 62 Moss that came out a few years ago. And those were really, really good watches, very well-built. They felt really nice in hand, a little large, but good. But I could not wrap my head around that that Arrowhead handset. It just didn't look right. And on this one, to me, it just doesn't look right. Yeah, I'm probably with you on this one. Um, I also, I mean, if we're looking, if we're getting granular now too, I don't love the date window. Um, I hate being like a date window sort of um, snob. I don't even know if that's the right word. Sort of a a critic, but uh, either do it well or kind of just don't do it. Yeah, that's, you know, words to live by, right? I think, and again, maybe that's just a a feature of being, you know, a watch hobbyist is that's the date window execution is probably the thing we all love to hate more than anything if it's not really done well. And, you know, it's maybe not the easiest thing to have it look fantastic on a watch that doesn't cost that much. And these don't cost that much, which is a great advantage of them, I suppose. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't dislike it, but there's nothing to recommend it. As far as, you know, some of the other aspects of this thing, though, it does have a case that looks to my eye anyway, all the different renders and pictures of it I've seen of it so far make it look a lot like the turtle, which means it's going to be really wearable and very comfortable on wrist. Those are usually, I don't, have you ever worn one of these? Not for an extended period. I have not. Yeah. I mean, the bracelets are a little clunky, but if you get them on rubber or on a good NATO strap or even a leather strap, they tend to wear very nicely. And so for people just kind of getting into it, if you want something, you know, that's going to, basically, you know, go with you anywhere you go, including, you know, to the beach, to the pool, what have you. This is probably going to be a good choice, but I just doesn't quite scratch any particular itch for me that the, the previous generation turtles or the dive specific turtles don't. Yeah. The best going back to the bezel, that's an aluminum insert on that one. It is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, at the, at this price, I don't think there's going to be anything exotic. You know, there's not going to be any kind of like hardened steel or uh, sapphire or ceramic. I do kind of like that. I, I think that's going to probably give some character over time. Right. And I think, you know, you're, you're 
I'm likely going to wear this one out and about, let it live life and probably going to attain, obtain some character over the course of time, which is, which is kind of cool. Yeah, totally. I think these will definitely, um, you know, take on some patina or patinate, or again, I don't know what the, the nerd specific term is, but, um, so they will look cool. And I think, you know, there's a whole cottage industry now, like with, um, with the previous generation, especially the turtles of, you know, artificially aging these in really creative ways. And I've seen, well, I'm, I'm sure you've probably seen, I think, um, you know, your, your strap guy of choice drew, Mm -hmm. I think he has one of those. I think, um, Alan, Alan's gear, I think he has one as well. They look smashing. They're so, so cool. And I think these will be fodder for that. Yeah. We have a, you know, we like to call out friends here on the pod and there's a, there's a guy who I think probably a lot of people follow, Shadow Watchmaker, um, and he does a lot of these mods too. With I think he did Allen's and maybe a few other folks. He does really cool work, so check him out if you're sort of into that and curious. Yeah, absolutely. I think the other thing that I don't like about this one, I mean, overall, I think the pros are the price. As I said before, it's probably going to be very comfortable and wearable, and you know, similar aesthetics to something like a turtle, which is a that was a grand slam for Seiko years ago. And I think got a lot of people interested or back interested in them, but the, uh, the dial, especially on the green one to me is a miss. I really want to like that green one, but I have the same criticism of that watch. I think that I would have, you know, with, and I'm going to be crucified for saying this, I guess, because I think you go to watch hobbyist hell, but one of the greatest watches, right. Is the, uh, a Tudor, Pelagos. And I had one of those and it's such a cool watch, but the dial just looks like plasticky. I, I don't know how else to describe it. You know, there's no luster. There's nothing like cheap about it. And it's certainly not, you know, there's not like a lack of depth to it. It's There's a, a great 3D effect with these things, but this particular watch to me, it, it looks like it's just a, a piece of Lego almost. Under that's, a, the crystal. that's probably the best way to put it. I think to your point, you know, you can play with dials. They don't have to, you know, you can go matte. You can do other things that still have a lot of character or a lot of presence. And this one is probably lacking, which is a shame because the color scheme itself is actually quite attractive. Yeah, I mean, it's so close. It's so close. Maybe they can iterate on it or, you know, maybe there'll be variations that are different. And frankly, maybe it'll just look different in hand. You know, That's, under- that's a great point. You know, we, we jump on these things, which we're supposed to do. And, and partly, you know, because we haven't seen them in person yet, we're looking at photographs and, you know, a lot of that could change in hand. Um, but even I'm looking at the blue and, and I love blue oh, almost, you know, 99% of the time. And even the blues kind of leaving me a little bit underwhelmed. Yeah. You know, I think the one to have is probably the gold tone one. It's just, a, just, I don't know, kind of just enough in your face to have it be fun. Yeah. And I think you're right about that. And actually when we get into our, um, you know, what's new, I have a little, uh, a, a kind of an announcement to make that's maybe related. So anyway, I agree with you. It's, it's enough, enough kind of, uh, you know, showiness without really being over the top, but it's uh pretty cool. Yeah, it's fun. It's kind of, um, I guess it may be a good successor to that C3PO watch, which is the, the gold, the gold turtle. Yeah. But this brings up a question that I've got. So again, I know that this is more of, you know, my playground, you know, Seikos and divers and stuff like that. But I think that this sort of begs the question, what sort of aspect of a watch and its value do you like place the most value on? So do you like, you know, the design and aesthetics 
above everything else or is it the technology and the cool stuff incorporated in the design or into the movement? Or would you say comfort and wearability rank really highly? I'm going to rank those um, as a group. So I'm going to say number one is is the design and aesthetics. I mean, that's the, to, for me personally, that's the initial reaction you have to seeing a watch, right? That visceral, do I like it? Does it speak to me? Do I find it attractive? Number two is going to be wearability. Um, you, I, I love a lot of watches, but if they don't work on, you know, my wrist or how I wear watches, it's probably going to be a no-go. And then third is is the tech and the uh, the sort of um, uh, specs on it. I don't want to say it's the least important, even though I'm pre- presenting it as the third of those three um, offerings that you gave me. But at the end of the day, the to the degree in which I put these watches through the ringer, the tech is not going to make or break, uh, is not going to be make or break for me. And so I like learning about it. I like knowing about it. I like having it. I like seeing what is possible. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, what I put these watches through is, is, is not going to be nearly, um, you know, too much for almost any of them. Give, give me, give me your rundown. How are you evaluating, um, watches? Well, I'd say I, you know, earlier on, I probably would get sort of sucked in by the technology and the cool factor of, you know, whatever was being offered. So, you know, the idea like spring drive, uh, I love that. I'm, I'm a sucker for that. And I will always be, you know, gravitating towards watches with long power reserve or, you know, watches that are, that have a lot of handwork in the movement, you know, the, the Schaffhausen fairy dust that they put on them at, at IWC or in Japan with Grand Seiko or what have you. Uh, but in the end, I've, I've kind of come full circle to the point that I'm with you. I think aesthetics is, and the design and sort of the interface is extremely important. But for me, the make or break feature is not like the technology or lack thereof. It's, it's the wearability and the comfort. And yeah, to, well, we'll just kind of use a word I think you just used. And that is sort of like, you know, ranking or evaluating the non Grand Seiko Seiko dive watch world is kind of, there's sort of like three tiers if you want to think of it like this. I mean, that SKX is kind of on its way out. So I'll leave that out. Although that is, that's a classic, you know, uh, what's the word? It's the, it's the bar, I think, by which a lot of Seiko stuff is judged, you know, plus or minus. But I think now, you know, more modern era, you're going to be talking about like at the entry level, something like the turtle above that is going to be something like, you know, these, and I'm holding this up to the camera right now, but this is the, the SPB 149, but that SPB line, kind of the H case skin diver, you know, kind of a, a prominent crown, no crown guards, you know, lozenge indices kind of thing that sort of occupies that middle space. And then above that are going to be watches in these SLA ranges. Now these are all pro specs watches, you know, that's kind of Seiko's nomenclature for professional specification. And these are all, you know, solid usable dive watches. And the ostensibly the SLAs feature at the top of the range. And this brings up something, I think we were talking a little bit prior to this, um, you know, there was a feature recently in Fratello, uh, RJ had written an article, seven sub killers under 5k or something along those lines. So it's, you know, and it, you see this from time to time, right? This, you know, current alternatives to the Submariner that you can actually get, you know, at a reasonable price. And 
one of the watches that he features was the SLA 021, the Marine Master 300, which is, you know, just this awesome, I don't know, have you ever had had the opportunity? I know our friend Jason has one. I have one. Have you ever played with one of these things? I've played with yours. Uh, actually, one of our one of our real early planning periods on the pod, um, you had it out and it might have been newish to you at the time. I can't remember exactly the timeline. Anyway, uh, so I've handled it there uh, again, you know, over the course of half an hour, hour, not for, you know, day, a week on the wrist. Yeah. So the, I guess the party piece of these watches is the fact that they have a, not a detuned, it's probably more accurately described as like a base level Grand Seiko-ish movement. The Adel 35, I think is the nomenclature for that one. And these are just, you know, there's not a lot of uh, regulation done on these watches movements and not a lot of decoration, but it is, you know, a movement that would otherwise be found in the Grand Seiko range. And then just, you know, materials and, and, fit and finish are, are a bit higher, but these watches are quite a bit more expensive than something like a turtle or even the SPB. And while I agree at this point, I mean, I used to think of that as the apex predator of Seiko divers, you know, it's just, it had, it's got, uh, it's got sapphire, it's got a, um, ceramic bezel that's loomed. It's got that, you know, the killer Seiko loomed, uh, all around monoblock case, the again the, the Grand Seiko movement. It's just got all the bells and whistles. The date window on that is very well done. Yeah. You know, the 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 actual date disc itself is like a silver, not white. It's it just looks really cool under a loop. Bravo for doing that. I love when that happens. Yeah. But at the end of the day, man, the Seiko, the SPB 149 or any of these from that range, it just wear they wear better. Yeah. And they have a better bracelet. And it's uh it's a third the price. And so do the math. Uh yeah, I you know, the price isn't the only thing, but there's if you compare the turtle to the the SPBs, there's a big difference. If you compare the SPB to the SLA, there's a really small difference in terms of the build quality and the feel. You know, you said it and it, it was it made me think of something, you know, it's not just the money. But I, I like to think of things oftentimes in, in terms of value proposition, right? So if you're getting, you know, whatever value you want to assign to it, 80%, 90% of what you're looking for, you know, versus, you know, 50% of the cost, you know, I almost, I love thinking about things that way. Maybe it's always the, the, the kind of, you know, uh, value hunter in me, but I just, I appreciate things that accomplish all, if not nearly all of what you hope to accomplish uh, for a price that's reflective, you know, um, of, of a value. Anyway. Yeah, I think we're probably of the same mind. I mean, you know, um we're both pretty fortunate to be able to afford, you know, more than one watch or a watch of this range, you know. Uh so I mean, you know, take this for what it's worth, but at the same time, neither of us have so much money that this is just, you know, an academic exercise and we don't have to consider value and yeah. money's no object. So yeah, I, I agree. Anyway, so that's that's my little conundrum. The new watches, um, eh, you know, I, let's I I want to see them, but for that's, right now, that's the one caveat, right? Get them in hand, you know, uh, potentially, but you know, at this moment, re- reflecting and kind of reacting to what we have in front of us. Hmm. Yeah, so I I would say the way I would rank it, if you'd ask me now, like between something like the Turtle, the SPB one four nine or similar, or you know, the, an SLA 021 or one of the others, like the, uh, the, the Willard reissue, uh, 
which is to say that the Grand Seiko engined Willard from a few years ago. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking the, the SPB is probably comes out on top, but maybe what it really means all of this, you know, analysis paralysis is that I need to buy a Willard. <laughs> you heard it here, folks. Matt has, uh, kind of, uh, laid down, you know, what he thinks is, uh, you know, the right, the part the, the best buy. Yeah, totally. I'm not selling that Marine master anytime soon. Though. Ah, all right. Well then I'll keep my fingers crossed. So right what on, else right is, on. what else is new in the, in the, uh, in the world of horology or beyond? I'm curious what's on your quote unquote radar. Well, you know, I think there's been in, in our world, there's been a lot of kind of noise made about our, our pal, Hodinky and uh, Gear Patrol alum, Jason Heaton and his book, Depth Charge. So I was uh, fortunate enough to kind of get that in pre-order and that showed up last week and I read it in the space of about two days. Okay. So it was a two day read. Like I've heard elsewhere, you, once you pick it up, you're not putting it down and you can get through it in a couple of days. Yeah. You know what it actually does? It, it does read like, and I'll hope that he's complimented by this and not thinking I'm trying to say it's derivative because it's not, but it's like the original sort of James Bond books where they're, these are not, you know, four and 500 page, you know, mega novels. It, the story is relatively straightforward. Everything is pretty concise. I think he does a good job building out characters and a storyline, but there's enough twists and turns to make it interesting, but not so much stuff that he needs. Like I said, you know, 500 pages to wrap it up. It's a fun, I think a great first effort and I was happy to get it and I've got a spare one for you. So if you want to check it out, I recommend it. I'll drop it by sometime soon. Perfect. I have some samples for you that I want to, that I want you to have too. So we'll do a swap. Yeah, totally. Books for booze. Books for booze. Uh, don't teach the kids that though. <laughs> hush, hush, hush you. So I've got some news. Uh, I don't know if, if, how many folks out there follow follow along on on my my page, but uh, I, I was I was re, reposting stories. the The good people at Head to Head Copycat, and I imagine most people know who who they are. But yep. if if you don't, um, sort of a collective of four four guys who run, uh, you know, I should say, previously ran week, weekly uh, competitions, right, with a theme, and so you know. Uh, share your 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 iteration of of that theme. They share, you know, at the end of the week what their what their favorite entries were. Great group, amazing guys. Um, and so they were running. They sort of reinvigorated within the last couple of weeks, and they ran a giveaway with the new Accutron brand, which is sort of being rebooted. Un- excuse me, rebooted under the Citizen Group. Um, you know, of of Boulevard Accutron fame, of course. And so I was selected as a lucky winner. The lucky winner, I should say, for a new Accutron Legacy watch. How cool is that? What? Yeah, Amazing. dude, that's fantastic. Yeah, so Brett, Brandon, um, you know, KickTok Doc, uh, and and Crudo Taco, all those guys. Uh, big, big shout out, big thank you. Um, you know, I don't have the watch in hand yet, but there, actually, there was a, a a pen included too from from the brand uh, Esterbrook, which I believe is a, a another reboot reboot uh, of sort of an old American crafts uh, craftsman uh, company. And so, and it's an Accutron branded pen too, which is pretty neat. I'm really excited to, to get on that. I've been sort of bouncing around and looking at pens lately. And I guess, ironically, um, this sort of fell into my lap. So excited to get that piece in hand. Wanted to say thank you to those guys. Uh, go follow along to what they're doing there. I think they probably have more things in store, but, um, we'll have a more, 
uh, you know, into in-depth review of, of the piece when it's, uh, when it's here. Dude, that's really actually super cool. I don't know that I've followed that or realized that you'd won that. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. That's awesome. Oh, amazing. So, so surprising, you know, it's, uh, you know, the watch family continues to amaze me. It's, uh, such a supportive community, uh, always, you know, open and positive and, and oftentimes looking to give back and, uh, just make people feel a part of the whole thing. So, uh, again, another big props to not only the head to head copycat, uh, team, but also just the watch fam in general. Cool. Yeah. Well, like I said, when you get it, make sure you post pictures. If you know the reference to the watch, let me know. I'd love to check that out. There's a, a few that I get to select from. So I'm waiting for official word from Accutron. And so when I know that, I will uh, I will update you. That, that just keeps getting better and better. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. Right on, brother. Well, hey, we're up about uh, 40 minutes or so here. And this is kind of right about in the middle for what we like to do. What do you say we wrap it up and uh, and call it a day? Can't wait to share this with everybody. Want to thank everybody for their their positive support up to this point. We've been so glad to share this with everybody. Didn't know what to think about it. And everybody's been um, thoughtful and, and positive and supportive. And so thanks. I appreciate it, everybody. Absolutely. Take care, Greg. We'll see you next time. Salute. Prost. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.